0: This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
1: Thanks for joining us here on Real Talk. As you know, we're talking Alberta politics this week, this month, as Albertans get set to go to the polls in what's being described as potentially the most hotly contested election in the province's history. In just a moment, how much is the environment on your radar, on your list of electoral priorities, the the things you're going to ask the politicians about when they knock on your door asking for your vote? Where does the environment stack up? Remember the outrage? Of course you do. If you're a regular audience member here on Real Talk, the outrage. When Albertans learned about the extent of coal exploration and mining in the Canadian Rockies, in particular on the eastern slopes of the Rockies. You remember uh, country music star Cor Blund and everybody else causing a big stink, including a whole bunch of folks that typically were pretty friendly to Alberta's conservative political legacy all of a sudden taking issue with the way that these leases were being handed out with the way that the mining was happening well there's a group led by lund and others that are wanting to put this back on your radar and that's where we go today in just a moment with corb lund in studio this episode of real talk is presented by business career college you can check them out online at ce.businesscareercollege.com as one of canada's largest providers of online training BCC provides high-quality, affordable e-learning to financial services brands of all sizes. They offer students the ultimate flexibility of courses that can be taken through self-study, live webinar, or a combination of both. With decades of experience in the financial and insurance industries, their instructors have helped thousands of learners to get certified without the stress. That's the best part. Do you want to get certified with confidence, build a thriving client base, and learn from the financial services or insurance industry's best experts? Business Career College can help get you there. You can check them out online at ce.businesscareercollege.com. Well, if you pay attention to music in Canada, our lead-off guest in studio this morning needs no introduction. And of course, his modest spirit doesn't allow for it. Cor Blunt, <laughs> he of many albums, many tours, and of course, a whole lot of influence, not just in Canada's uh, country music scene, but it seems in Canadian culture across the board. Joining us in studio, third or fourth appearance on the show, but the first time we've been able to welcome you here. So yeah. it's nice to have you here in downtown Edmonton. Nice digs right by the rink. Eh? Yeah, you got it, buddy. What, what, what a time of year to be right around here. What 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 brings you up to Edmonton? I know that you've, you've, you've been playing a couple of shows lately, some pretty cool stuff happening, including recently. Down in Calgary,
2: yeah, I was. At this, I played with the symphony in a couple nights last weekend with Calgary, at the Calgary Symphony in Calgary. It was, it was really cool. What's it,
1: how how different is it to play with a symphony? But it's you?
2: awesome, but it's stressful because um, you know symphonic players like that they they play with music sheet music and it's it's bar by bar measure by measure so you can't jam with a symphony a 70 piece symphony you know you gotta you gotta have all your introductions and all your spaces between verses and choruses dialed right in so because if you you, if you get out of sync with them you look like an idiot so i don't want that to happen
1: a lot of your fans are going to wonder if they're going to have a chance they missed that showdown in calgary to see you with a philharmonic orchestra behind you is this something that you maybe take on the road
2: well you can't really take an orchestra on the road But you can certainly pop into different cities And play with their orchestras So yeah and I've done so much work preparing for it I would like to do more of it yeah Yeah I want to talk to you about
1: Cole uh, in And in the lion's share of this half hour that we've got you for We want to get into issues around the environment and politics It'd be more and,
2: fun to talk about music but. It would be
1: more fun but, Well I mean I gotta, I gotta ask you about Gordon Lightfoot I mean he's, he's described by a lot of people As essentially Canada's poet laureate As, as one of the greatest uh, you know, purveyors of Canadian culture That, that uh, this country has ever produced uh, passing away Monday night. Uh, uh, I mean, almost eighty-five years of age. Uh, I, I don't ask. Did he uh, have an influence on your musical career growing
2: up? Because it seems like every single recording artist is saying yes. I guess the question is, what was the influence? Well, I mentioned this briefly earlier, but I, w- I was a story song kid. I was a sucker for story songs, and I was I was obsessed with uh, the of the Evan Fitzgerald, as a kid. You know, boys, it's too rough to feed you. You know, it was it was. Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of tunes, but that one in particular was my favorite. And yeah, with he was a contemporary of, you know, Ian Tyson, who he also who he also lost recently. So yeah, all, all the old boys are are dropping, and the yeah, old gals, it's, it's sad. Amazing stuff, is. But yeah, it? I mean, it was the the like you said, the reaction to. Lightfoot's passing has been... I mean, it's always nice to see the love, but it's like, well, how about if we would have done that when he was alive? I always <laughs> feel that way. Waylon Jennings wrote a song about that. He said, they sure lo- they sure love you when you're dead, <laughs> something like that. I can't remember what it's called. But.
1: Wasn't it like, I think it, it was uh, back in like 2010, 2011, something like that. I was reading sort of this synopsis of his entire career and his life, and, and he had been inaccurately uh, announced as dead. Uh, oh, Lightfoot was In like 2010 or 2011 The rumors of my
2: passing Are yeah. re- exaggerated <laughs>
1: Exactly yeah. And you sort of wonder In a circumstance like that Well maybe if you had a chance To read an obituary Or two uh, While you were still Of sound mind And good health It might be a nice thing
2: He uh, I understand he was playing Until pretty recently So that's, that's how you want to go I guess Amazing stuff Cool. Uh, This is something you've kind of become the face of uh, this protest
1: movement, if I can call it that, or at least the most prominent and recognizable name associated uh, with it. And, and, And it appears to cross partisan borders. It doesn't seem to matter what political party people have supported. A whole bunch of folks in particular in southern Alberta really riled up about yeah. coal exploration in the Rockies. And and uh, you've been on this show several times to talk about it. Why don't you bring us up to speed on what's happening right now and, and then, of course, the context
2: of this provincial election? Okay. Uh, like I always say, I'm firmly nonpartisan. I don't like parties, and I don't care who people vote for. I think I think now is the time, though, during the election for everybody to get all the candidates from all the parties to commit to legislation that bans any kind of mining anywhere in the rockies because that's what the polls say that Albertans want overwhelmingly and the situation we're in now is that, like the coal companies are quite happy about it I think because everyone seems to think it's over but all that's really happened is they've paused it and and they've they've reinstated the Lougheed policy which has been in place for a long time before they rescinded it but now we've seen how they can rescind that with the stroke of a pen on five o'clock on a Friday if they want to so what we really need is beyond policies we need we need firm robust legislation we we need laws to keep uh mining out of the rockies and another thing that you're going to run into is that politicians like to use doublespeak and confusion and and complexity to to leave themselves loopholes and and if you ask your candidates how they feel about coal if they start talking about land categories or recommendations or committees or balancing coal with other energies or uh Land use policy—all that's double speak, in my opinion—and and and all they need to say is, yeah, we're committed to having no more coal in the Rocky Mountains. Period. Because I think what's going to happen probably is they're going to pretend that they—some uh, of them will pretend that they're against coal mining—but then they will eventually allow it in some of the less protected areas, like in Category Four, and that will be the foothold, and it will go—it will take off from there, and we'll never get rid of them. And unlike a lot of the election issues, this one's irreversible. If if we let the coal mines in the Rockies, we're never going to get rid of them. So now's the time to ask your candidates from all the parties it, it, to me to me it should be it should be uncontroversial and and uh, bipartisan and and the election should be decided on all the other issues that are at play in currently because Albertans clearly don't want any mining anywhere in the Rockies so Tell your politicians that's what you want.
1: You know, you're gonna. You, you talked about the the double speak that can happen with politicians, and, and people can get into that. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think it was the Jungle Book, wasn't it? The old the old school Disney film where the where the kid is like looking into the eyes of the serpent, and then he kind of starts yeah. getting like Jedi mind tricked, and
2: yeah, and that can
1: happen to people. But 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 it's not just that, and it's not just the obfuscation of the issue with with the things like land leases or categories. It's it's also. Uh, the very real issues around things like jobs and the economy Mm -hmm. and employment and the success of, like coal towns, yep. and oftentimes somebody that will stand up for something they believe to be right, like protecting the environment or protecting the Rockies, will be met with blowback. W- what are you going to say to the hundreds or thousands of people whose jobs will be canceled? How have you navigated that? Have you experienced blowback from your advocacy?
2: Oh yeah, sure. I've had death threats. <laughs> Actually? <laughs> yeah, on Facebook, but Facebook's a sewer, so I don't I don't really take them too seriously. But um, Violent threats, but the thing is like uh of course we need jobs and of course we need economic stuff but if you look at this thing it really doesn't offer albertans very much because what i the numbers i've heard are there are a couple hundred jobs per per mine or something and and you have to offset that against ag jobs and tourism jobs not to mention we all know how this works we're guaranteed that the taxpayer is going to be pay, paying for the cleanup again yeah, that's just how it always works right so it, really the economic benefits are are pretty insignificant i think and like i i mentioned this off air but i'm not from hollywood or new york city or something i, I live here my my, i'm sixth generation alberton and i personally drink the water out of the old man river and so do my family so do my friends so do our cattle i, I mean it, all the agribusiness in lethbridge uses that water and for a few hundred jobs up, upstream it, it's just not worth it it's a ter- it's going to make a hell of a mess because coal mining always does and we're going to pay for it and it's just going to be all you got to do is look 100k across the border into BC in the Elk Valley and that's that's what we'll have. You you referred to yourself When you first walked into our
1: studio, and then the minute the microphone turned on, you you reminded everybody you're fiercely nonpartisan. That's right. Uh, You're not a guy that likes to wave a party flag. Uh, You're probably not a guy that, that likes to drive a line right between the middle of your fan base as well, which I think is something that an entertainer would have to consider. How unusual is it for you to become so engaged? Or can I say even, I don't know if I want to say captivated by, but your commitment level on this one is significant. How unusual is that for you for an issue? that might be seen as a a political slash environmental one
2: it's pretty unusual i've never done like this before it's the first time and i never will again once once this is legislated somebody else can do the heavy lifting on the rest of the world but uh no i I mean i when i first got into this i educated myself for months and i i did uh i I met with people from across the spectrum politically and i met with people that were against the coal like conservation people and i met with people who were pro-coal and some of the some of the the ceo people and some of the pr people for the coal companies and my with my limited intelligence i assessed all the information and and i i would feel like i was lied to and and i was and i was you know don't worry your pretty little head about this stuff we got it and i i really feel like i was Uh, not honestly dealt with and so i'm kind of i got my teeth sunk into this thing now and i I don't think i'm going to give up until we get legislation and i don't give a shit anymore about like I'm, i'm sure that there's been people who have been alienated by my position and i don't care i drink the water and so does my family so yeah, I mean, when it comes down to
1: that, it's something that's very personal, right? Yeah. And oftentimes, for for a lot of people to state the obvious, that's what lights a fire under somebody with a specific issue is how it affects their family. Uh, has your family or have your neighbors or people that you know in that region or that part of the province seen uh, the impact of coal exploration already? Or is this something people are just concerned about you know, the
2: future of it? 100% they have. Like, the people that brought me into this weren't, uh, you know, and I have nothing against tree-hugging hippies, but <laughs> uh, I got some friends that are, are exactly that. But the people that brought me into this weren't those people. They were family ranchers that have been on the land for generations, and, and they've seen devastation. And that's only from from the exploration phase, which is a minor part of it. And they haven't even cleaned a lot of that up yet. So everything I've seen has just been, you know, it's like a, it's like a movie, right? It's, we've seen this story a million times. Like they come in and they take the money, they take the coal, and they take the resource, and then they... Restructure, or they, you know, they go bankrupt, and the taxpayers left holding the bag. Yeah, you've seen it a million times. Yeah, so. um, and and I also should say that I always mention I'm I'm not anti-resource. I'm not I'm not anti-industry either. It's just that every every situation has to be looked at on its own merits. And this one, if you look at it, is a really dumb idea. It's it's uh, short-sighted and possibly corrupt, and in, in, uh, in my opinion, and um, uh, doesn't really benefit very many people.
1: Yeah, uh, have you seen like? With regards to the, uh, you know, the amount with, with, with the competing things that we try to navigate and what's trying to compete for our attention and where we put our efforts. Oftentimes, you know, the way that the news cycle goes, people will go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that story. Like, who right now is talking about Alberta's curriculum rewrite, for example? But this is a very real thing. It's a very real issue. Coal mining in the Rockies, people will go, yeah, I remember the lawn sign campaign. Mm-hmm. We talked to Paws, which has done a lot of advocacy on that. Remember, it seemed like every fifth house had a, had a lawn sign for long. Long time mm-hmm. and then and then those have kind of come and gone but but the story hasn't really gone anywhere um over the past year the past year and a half how much has this stayed right on your radar and 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 have you noticed any developments that that you can bring folks up to speed on i mean i know some people would be surprised to know that it wasn't as though exploration stopped it didn't come to a halt when when the outrage was happening there was still activity that was being reported by people including those uh, close to where it was happening
2: yeah it wasn't like uh you know, I remember at the time a year or so ago, when when some of the when they they paused it and, and backtracked some of that stuff, they acted like we've listened to the Alberta people, and we and it was really dra- they were really, in my opinion, dragged kicking and screaming away from their position only because of sheer public outrage. And and you're right, it's hard it's hard for people to uh, stay on top of these things and be and be white hot angry for a year or more because they've got hockey practice and jobs to do to go to and kids still look after I get it, but I've been, I've been watching it and the reason we're speaking up about it now or I'm speaking about it now is because is there's an election, an election happening. So that's the obvious time to bring it up and, and it was paused. But like I said, it's not, it's, it's we're, the companies are still from what I can see lurking in the background and waiting for their opportunity. And, and like, also, as I mentioned, the policy was just rescinded with the stroke of a pen and then under public scrutiny and outrage was, was reinstated. But now that we know how easy it is to to rescind it on a whim, we need more than that. We need legislation, we need laws. And once we get solid laws in place, I'll shut up about it. But not only do we need laws, we need laws that are very clear and very simple and straightforward about no mining, no coal mining in the Rockies or anywhere near the Rockies period. doesn't matter what land category, doesn't matter what the the, uh, future land use policies are going to be right now. We want no more coal mining in the Rockies, real simple. Make it happen. Uh,
1: I appreciate uh, Our live tuning audience Is like You know Arguably the, the several hundred Most engaged Albertans on the planet Like I mean I, I think I would, would Go to the wall With that claim And we've got A bunch of them right now You can take a look At that monitor cord, uh, cord uh, Sharon Moran says You got to check out This photographer Garth Lenz uh, It's L-E-N-Z I've not seen these I'm just seeing these photos For the first time But if you're listening On the podcast Check out Garth Lenz L-E-N-Z dot com And uh, just remarkable Photos of, of Mining in the Rockies It's It's kind of I mean, to be honest, it's a bit of a gut punch, these photos, but it gives you a clear sense. I mean, these are uh, some of the most pristine lands in the country. I mean, this landscape really is remarkable. And uh, it, it goes without saying, no matter what anybody's going to tell you now, I am not a coal miner. But I'm sure that there's some bullshit explanation that somebody could feed us about how they would restore these lands back to their original beauty. But I think anybody with half a brain knows that that's not possible and that's not going to happen. We're talking about some pretty serious
2: and high stakes here. Yeah, I mean, you can make a golf course out of it, I guess, or something. But like you can't, there's no, any child can tell you there's no way to reconstruct an ecosystem like that. Yeah. It's silly.
1: I appreciate you using the word ecosystem too, because it's not just the aesthetic, right? No, it's a lot the of water. are talking about
2: the water. It's the water. I mean, there's lots of dumb reasons why it's dumb, but the water is, is the reason. Like, Southern Alberta already a thirsty area, right? And, you know, it, you don't have to go to Brazil or. Or Nigeria, or somewhere, or russia it's far across the globe to see the effects. You just got to go across the border into the Elk Valley. And I don't—I don't—I'm not criticizing B.C. That's none of my business. They can do what they want. But it's the same coal seam, as far as I know. It's pretty much the same. So if you want to see the future, all you got to do is just go, drive across the border. And in the Elk Valley, the, the selenium contamination—those some of those rivers—is is many, 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 many times higher than what's safe for aquatic life. And I know at least one town, maybe more, have had to stop using their well water because it's been contaminated with, with uh, um, selenium, especially and other uh, contaminants from from the coal mining. And, you know, even Montana is making noises about suing BC for, because they've ruined their water downstream too. And it's like, I, I actually understand this issue. I've spent a lot of time on it, and I read a lot of comments and stuff sometimes from people who don't seem to understand. What happens is that they take... Overburden, which is the industry term for the rock that's on top of the coal seam, they they blow it up when they strip mine and they dump it in the adjacent valley. And those exposed surfaces of the rock expose selenium, and and when the rainwater washes over those broken up rocks, freshly broken up rocks, it, it leaches selenium into the groundwater. So it's not a matter of just cleaning up the the water that's coming out of the hose in the factory. It's like it's 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 seeping into all the groundwater. So towns many miles away can have their water affected by this and 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 they have and it's and and you know one of the industry leaders in mitigating this stuff has spent a billion dollars over there and they've barely made a dent in it so it's it's basically it's essentially unfixable you know so it's just it's a nightmare and and it's stupid and there's no upside and yeah, I'm frankly sick of talking about it, but here we are. <laughs> well,
1: we here we are, and and obviously the timing, and, and you've made it obvious, is that this is, uh, you know, the, the the 28 days where people are going to be in this part of Canada hyper focused on issues, and and the parties are going to be competing uh, to keep their priority issues our priority issues right Mm -hmm. and 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 when that happens oftentimes the election becomes about you know people are saying and even experts on this show even experts this week on this show are saying this is going to be about the economy versus healthcare. and the fact of the matter is 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 that government uh, has its hand and its influence on so many more things than that and an election should be about so many more things about that and some of the voices that I've appreciated most on this show are talking about not so much, and Charles Adler talked about it this week, not so much do people need to vote about the issues or just the issues, but also about the leadership and who they trust with issues like this. Because sometimes a campaign doesn't have to you know, touch on the specific policy about a specific issue, but it can reveal an opportunity for us to choose who we trust with an issue. And I think that that's the case here
2: yeah i like i said i stay away from talking about any specifics about any parties because the 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 thing that's made this movement about the coal really significant is that it's it's been a very wide-ranging coalition of people who are against it from from the left to the right and and uh ranchers and and fly fishermen and hunters are against this and some of the irrigating farmers in southern alberta are against it so it's not just people on the left that are against this so the, the important thing to me is that um this should be a unanimous issue in my opinion all the parties should clearly just state yes we're going to as soon as possible we're going to ban with legislation all coal mining anywhere near the rockies and just get that off the table right but so far we we have some work to do in that department <laughs> Lou's uh, watching the
1: show he says you know we're talking
2: about generations of farmers and
1: ranchers what about the picanis Says they've lived there for centuries uh, maybe millennia, right? Kathy says if we don't have clean drinking water. We can't survive. Says I don't understand why people don't get that. Everybody talks about water as the new oil. <laughs> I don't know well, if we have to refer to it like that for people to care more about it. But water is going to is only going to be increasing in its importance yeah. in what we're talking about, especially in politics.
2: Yeah, the indigenous folks have been really important in this movement too. Hundred percent. I mean, they drink the. We all drink the water. That's why it's a universal issue. It's not. It's not a. It's it's our drinking water. And start drinking water it's pretty simple yeah and, and and it's like we irrigate with it and we you know um, big parts of america water is one of the biggest uh, shortages they've got going now and it's it's coming because southern alberta already is is kind of stretched like i know the old man region is Water allocation is a big deal. So yeah, this
1: is uh, not not to go down story time lane, but uh, you know I remember even just as a like a you know sort of an upstart journalist and some of the stories I'd cover in in central into southern Alberta and, and you don't really realize a lot of the issues including water can be off your radar until you sit in on like a a bylaw meeting or a, there's an application for a development permit or something like that and you hear people talking about the impact. That that a big new track or a big new shopping mall complex or something might have with regards to diverting water away or the the tapping in of resources and, and recognizing 10, 15, 20 years ago when these conversations were happening that already at that point people were sounding the alarm. Uh, that there were going to be issues for, for, sure. for, you know, agriculture, industry, you know, people looking to irrigate, for example, in southern Alberta, access to water issues and, and those types of things. Uh, now, when you start talking about the the uh, potential, I think the, the, the troubling potential of polluting the resources you do have, um, you know, it goes without saying, obviously, this is something, an issue that needs to be relevant to everybody.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's not only qu- uh, a quant- uh, quality either, it's also quantity because, uh, you know, my understanding is that coal mining is a thirsty business too and, and they need to get water from somewhere and they're up around the headwaters of the old man. So, you know, where that's obviously gonna come from the river. So not only you know, not only is there a quality issue, they're gonna they're gonna be no matter how they phrase it or, or frame it, they're gonna need to take water out of the river, I think. To, yeah. to do the mining. And and as far as the quality thing goes, seriously, if people are interested, they should just Google Elk Valley coal mining you know finding company you'll you'll find what's going on over there it's it's a mess and again I, that's bc's business but i i just pointed it out because that's our future if we want to if we want to go down this road,
1: I see that the, the Narwhal's done some reporting on this. So people can check out the Narwhal.ca. Uh, coal mining, big business in the BC Rockies. They say talking about four proposed projects undergoing review. That was in April of twenty
2: one, so about two years. Ago. Sorry, in BC, or Alberta. Uh,
1: they're saying in the BC side of the yeah. Rockies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they say if projects you know, are approved. Four I don't have
2: review. I don't have your list of questions there, but give me some of the hard ones because I mean I. If there's, some, if there's some negativity here, I'd like to address it. it because,
1: I think there's not. Okay. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't mean to disappoint you, but it's like a reasonable, informed audience. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised there's not maybe more trolls on this, but but a lot of people are just talking about, yeah, people are talking about coal
2: dust, how that's a big issue. Well, a lot of people are talking about lobbying. Well, there's been some issues in an area called Win- Window Lake, I think, where, where they have coal contamination from coal mines that aren't even in Alberta. It's 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 coal dust that's blowing in from BC and that's without even mining here. So, you know, good luck when we actually start mining. But it, the reason I ask for the neg- negative questions or the challenging questions is that it's important to talk about those things and address them because I, when, I, when I read the forums and stuff, I, I unfortunately have <laughs> educated myself on this issue. And I, I've found that I know more about it than some of the politicians I've talked to, and I'm not proud of that, but it's it's true. And and I like to talk about the, to people who who are who have uh, hard questions about it because there aren't. This is an issue that I mean there there are a few negotiable points to it, but I, I wouldn't have got behind this if it was like when I first spoke about it. I thought, well, it's my job. It, it was done under the cover of darkness, like the <laughs> on a Friday afternoon. It was rescinded, so I thought, well, my job here is to make this. Uh, clear to people what's going on. And if, if 80% of Albertans would have said, no, we want the mines, I would have shut up. But they haven't. And most, most people don't want them. But it's interesting to me to talk to people who are in favor of it to have a reasonable discussion and explain to them why I think it's a bad idea. And and in most cases, I feel I I can be successful doing that because other than the people, people that want the jobs in the mines, like the people in Christmas Pass don't like me. And I, I can shoulder that because I understand their position, but it's just not worth ruining the water over a few hundred jobs. And, uh, the besides them and the politicians, I don't know of anybody else who wants them. I, and so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, to me, it's a fairly black and white issue. So, It kind of feels like you know
1: like being pissed off that your job at the cigarette factory is being phased out you know what i mean
2: well i understand
1: no but but honestly like really like if somebody in crow's nest pass doesn't like you because you're trying to protect the water supply for your family's operation but they're afraid that they might and and i again i don't mean to be an asshole and sit here and like you know write off someone's concern that that they're you know that what they've dedicated their career to or what their skill set lends itself to is being phased out i can understand i mean hell man i used to work on on AM radio, I understand what it's like to see an industry changing. I understand what that's like to see your livelihood threatened. But at the same time, this one to me, to be quite honest, seems indefensible right? I mean, how about this one from Mark Doran? I don't know if the name resonates with you. He does a lot of work on like orphan wells stuff. This guy is really a fierce advocate for Albertans. wants to see more accountability from Alberta's energy regulator. Uh, people can go back in our Real Talk archives and see Mark Doran on the show. He says, Mark says, here's what's not being discussed. Uh, the Alberta government leased coal rights and then reversed its policy, and that will eventually result in lawsuits for de facto expropriation of mineral rights and more.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, there's a couple things about that. What I read about the uh, the lawsuit was that they were after a ridiculous amount of money I think it's a scare tactic because I, the lawyers I talked to told me that they were they were trying to sue for all their future profits which is not how that normally works like maybe you get your input costs back or something but the other thing too though is it that, that sure it's good there were some mistakes made that's gonna cost some money but but this is the cheapest it's ever gonna be it's the the longer we let them continue to explore and make a mess up there and and God forbid actually start mining it's just gonna cost us more and more and more to get rid of them mm-hmm. this is the ch- this is the time to pull the band-aid off this is never going to get cheaper Tr- and I, can I mention too whatever you want there, there when you mentioned the the regulator there's been polls that say it's something like 80% percent of Albertans don't believe that the the regulating bodies around this stuff are trustworthy so or, or competent I, I don't know well, I mean, you want to get into the Curl facility
1: up in you know Fort McMurray and the leaking. Yeah. You talked to Chief Alan Adam about the tailings ponds leaks and 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 how the you know Alberta's Auditor General, with, with whom we have an interview request, uh, Alberta's Auditor General's uh, scathing indictment of uh, the Alberta Energy Regulator. Right now, no wonder I think that eighty percent is a low number for people that don't have faith in it's, the regulator. It's
2: just tough for me to to believe that the mess isn't going to end up on the shoulders of the taxpayer. Like I know, I, I, w- I would bet money that it would. It just always does, right? So. How about this one from Tracy who says, you know, it's been the norm for decades that small business
1: and entrepreneurs keep their political and religious beliefs to themselves. Good on core blend to stay non-political.
2: Yeah, I don't care about politics. I don't like political parties.
1: So you're not going to run in the next election as well. Hell no,
2: never ever. All right, my <laughs> man. Hey, can I mention one more thing? Yeah. Um, there was a thing in the news recently where one of the coal companies um called Montem that has a number of leases, coal leases has announced a project to turn one of them into hydropower, right? And they partnered with TransAlta on this, I think. And I just want to point out that that sounds good and everything, but they in my opinion and from what I've read from their their meeting uh notes, they have every intention to develop the rest of their coal leases. So you know and and I would think that if they make money on that it may even fund the coal the other coal leases. so so don't be sidetracked by that little piece of smoke and mirrors either because because as, as I think that might be almost the definition of greenwashing because like you know it's great I guess I guess I'd, I'd need to know more about the project to know if it's a good idea to have that kind of industry in that area, whether it's coal mining or something else. but the fact that they have a bunch of other coal leases which they ostensibly plan to develop, I mean that it sort of makes the whole thing kind of a nothing burger to me. Um, You were on this show, I guess it was like a year, year and
1: a half ago with Laura Lang, Mm -hmm. right? right. She's texting my phone right now. Uh, She says, first of all, go Corp Go. Uh, She says, it's really important to note that we already have contamination in Alberta from Elk Valley. Uh, She says, tech, coal mining, Window Lake is now contaminated with selenium. From air, coal, dust. Uh, so that's a great point from her, and I appreciate that. My phone's actually absolutely blowing up right now because you're on uh, a couple of guys just want shouts out about you know their musicians. I don't think that's appropriate right now, is it, Corb? You're about to go back on the road?
2: Yeah, I'm making a record in the end of the month and going out in, in in June. Yeah, yeah. Is it gonna be? Is there gonna be a song about coal? There might be a few. You never know. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, not written yet.
1: Uh, I've got a bunch of stuff in my head. Awesome, man, unfortunately, uh, I I really respect like I know you when you when you put your neck out there um, it's like somebody that owns a restaurant or Somebody that owns a, a retail store or a recording artist or whatever it is somebody that relies on Fans or a customer base or a loyal audience doesn't have to put their neck out there They don't have to risk Uh, their reputation or their future earnings it's easier not to and uh, I really respect what you're doing here and I appreciate it
2: well I I really feel strongly especially like I said the issue that brought me into this in the first place was was losing a lot of our family not our family but family ranches that are pristine land up in the Rockies and that's to me that's that's inane and and then beyond that there's lots of other reasons not to do it but to recap Now's the time to get all the candidates from all the parties to commit to having strong legislation as soon as possible to ban all coal mining anywhere near the Rockies. Doesn't matter about land categories. Doesn't matter about waiting for land use. Doesn't matter about balancing it with green energy. Any of that stuff is all BS. They just have to ban coal mining anywhere near the Rockies. End of story, full stop. That's Corb Lund. You can follow him on Twitter at Corb Lund. I
1: saw you interacting with some people as, as uh, recently as I think it was this morning or last night. So if people want to oh. a- ask you a question or something like that, I know you, know, you, you you didn't shy away from being challenged on this show. I didn't scan all the comments, Mm -hmm. but there weren't a lot of people throwing grenades at you. Well, there's some out there and
2: I'm happy to talk to those folks. Well, sure.
1: You know, and, and, and hopefully, you know, it's possible to have, Productive and reasonable and respectful conversations. We try to have those. We had one yesterday on the show. You know, very highly partisan back and forth to senior strategists trading punches from each party. But but I like to think that, you know, most Albertans are going to be doing what I was doing last night, which is sitting on the sidelines of a kid's soccer game and yeah. talking about things that people care
2: about. And, of course. and that's where we meet, Yep. you know, coffee and then, shops and bars. Like I said, I'm nonpartisan, so I think this issue should be off the table. It should just be agreed on by everybody. With no obfuscation and 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 dealt with and then moving on to other things, but so far we aren't there yet. So we
1: finally got a hater, Corb. Finally got one for you. Daily BMJ says, yeah, so easy for a rich guy to <laughs> tell those struggling how to oh, live yeah. their life.
2: Yeah, I'm really rich. Yeah, now it's funny because when I started on this, uh, when I started on this issue, simultaneously on Twitter, I had some people saying that I was so so broke from COVID that I had to get paid by George Soros. Meanwhile, simultaneously so rich that I don't care about working people. But none of that's true. I'm very much a working person and I don't make all that much money. And this is about the water to me.
1: That's Corb Lund, a good friend of this show and a fierce advocate for Alberta's environment and Alberta's future. Thanks for doing this, my man. It's good to see you and safe journey back down to Lethbridge area. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, you got it. Uh, That conversation is presented. It it seems to be a perfect time to remind you about Kubi Renewable Energy. It's Western Canada's busiest and most experienced solar installer, a full-service contractor for residential and commercial solar power systems. And... Uh, team at Kubi is pretty excited about a new development. They've been certified by APEGA. You know that the the Association of uh, Professional Engineers and Geoscientists of Alberta. Well, what does that mean? It means that Kubi Energy is now a licensed engineering company. This is a big step forward. Uh, Kubi is one of the only solar installers permitted. To actually perform engineering uh, and this means that you can rest assured that their team of professional electrical and structural engineers ensure that all their projects are completed to the highest of standards making your transition to renewable energy easy and stress-free uh, plus by the way they're hiring If you'd like to learn more about that right now, maybe do some amazing work moving Canada's sustainable energy goals forward in B.C., Alberta and other parts of Canada. Check out kubieenergy.ca. At Friesen Brothers, they want to let you know that they've got you covered for Mother's Day. It's not too soon to start thinking about that. That's right, including on May 13th and 14th, an amazing Brunch. You have plans yet on how you're going to let mom know or the person that has been that figure in your life? How will you communicate to them how much you appreciate them? Friesen Brothers Fresh Market stores, May 13th and 14th. And all you can eat Mother's Day brunch featuring all the traditional favorites. Plus some special desserts available for just 25 bucks per person. Every mom's going to receive a complimentary flower as well Ooh. yeah that's right Johnny I always love these all you can eat brunches all you can eat it sounds to me like a challenge yeah. the details at frizen.com hey coming up at Dairy Queen of course they've got you covered too a cake for every occasion you want to give mom the sweetest gift Mother's Day cakes are back and they're ready to make mom's day show your mom how much she means to you with a DQ Mother's Day cake from the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. That's Palisades, Nemeo Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. And if you follow them on Instagram, you'll also know their Oilers cakes, John, are off the charts. They're insane. Yeah, why not show up to the round two watch party you're attending with a DQ Oilers cake from the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park? Also, wanted to take a second to mention our good friends at Athabasca University. This is Canada's open university and one of Canada's most reputable research centres. Coming up on tomorrow's episode of Real Talk, we're going to talk to a professor and a podcaster out of Athabasca U and find out how her personal history, as well as Indigenous historians and the study of Indigenous issues across Canada are changing with technology and a better understanding of some of not just where we've been, but insight into where we're going. There are so many things happening at Athabasca University. There's bound to be a fit for you. World-class accredited online programs and courses with the flexibility that other universities simply cannot offer. You can learn more about how AU works today at AthabascaU.ca. Coming up on Saturday, it uh, kicks off, essentially, the race to the Triple Crown. You don't have to be a die-hard horse racing fan to be captivated by what happens at the Kentucky Derby. We're going to be talking in just a second to a member of the Canadian Horse Racing Hall of Fame, the author of a new book, The Turcots, that tells the story of a Canadian family, a Canadian family that produced the jockey that rode The greatest racehorse of all time to that Triple Crown back in 1973. Of course, we're talking about Secretariat.
3: Our native and Secretariat is last again as they move into the first turn. They're into the turn. Ecole Taj has it by two lengths. Torsion second by a length and then Sham third. Sham under an easy hold right now. But here comes Secretariat. He's moving fast and he's going to the outside. He's going for the lead and it's right now he's looking for it. Ronnie Turcotte sends him alongside Ecole Taj. They're on the turn. Here's the race, folks. Secretariat trying to hold it, and Sham is driving to get him. These two are beginning to open a few lengths as our native settles into third, and he has about three lengths on Ecole coletage. Head of the stretch, Secretariat two and a half. Sham under a strong left-handed whip. And he's making his run now, but it's still Secretariat holding on. Secretariat by two lengths. Sham driving second. There's a strong left-handed whip again by Pinkai. He goes to it time and time again, but Ronnie Turcott has his whip put away. And Secretariat has him put away. He's beginning to draw away.
1: I could listen to calls like that all day long. Now that was Secretariat at the Preakness Stakes. That's one of the 3 you got to win. Uh, To win that Triple Crown, it all starts with the Kentucky Derby. You don't have to tell that to Curtis Stock, a Hall of Fame writer and our guest in studio. Hey, congratulations on the new book, by the way, uh, The Turcots, The Remarkable Story of a Horse Racing Dynasty. This has been something that you've been writing about, a passion of yours for a half a century, Curtis. Yeah,
4: I've been writing about third bread and harness racing for about 50 years it's been a long time uh, what's uh, what is it
1: about the kentucky derby i mean aside from from, uh, from from the style of it and the traditions of of the special beverages that are served yeah. and the fascinators and the and all that kind of stuff what is it about the kentucky derby that sets it apart that makes it so special
4: well it is it's just uh, it's been one of them you know the race that people associate with with horse racing is the Kentucky Derby. It's been around for 144 years. Uh, some great horses have run it, and some great horses have won it. But it's uh, it's the it's the big day. What was it about Secretariat?
1: Uh, if I understand correctly, if I, if if my research is correct, Secretariat still holds the track record at the Kentucky Derby. This is one we're coming and up the on the 50 and year, the Belmont. and the Preakness and the Belmont. Yeah,
4: 50 years later, he still holds all those records. What made this horse so special? Well, he was just the most fascinating, greatest horse of all time. He had a big rear end on him, and when they did an autopsy after he died, they found out that his heart was twice the size of a normal horse's heart. Actually? Actually, twice the size, his heart. So, I mean, he was able to get more oxygen, and uh, he was just built. As powerfully, I remember reading somewhere where they said that Secretary had, had uh, muscles in his eyebrows. So <laughs> uh,
1: this is—I feel like this is an interview. Every once in a while, I'll say this to the audience that if you're if you're watching or if you're listening to this interview on the podcast, we encourage you to, to switch over to the YouTube broadcast because we've pulled some some archive footage, yeah. uh, some really special footage that's 50 years old as of this weekend, um, including uh, of course that 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 remarkable debut at the Kentucky Derby, the, the career of a race source uh i mean i mean obviously you can you can expand on this idea but really uh, secretariat's career in particular really limited right Very he, short uh, retired at a, at a young age i saw that he sired more than 600 uh, colts which is it was really amazing but uh, but kind of a, a a big debut and then and then the career almost the racing career almost
4: done as quickly as it began yeah he only ran until he was three years old and ronnie Turcott, the rider of secretaria told me that secretary was just getting good when he retired that there was no telling how good he really could have been and he was going to be a better horse on grass than he was on dirt he won his last two starts on grass including the canadian international at woodbine and This was his last race and he was just a powerful horse and Ron said it was a shame that he had to retire.
1: Why did he retire? Why would they have retired this horse so young? For
4: money, for syndication, to stand him at stud and not take the chance of him getting hurt.
1: Right, you don't want him breaking his leg and and having to make a tough decision there. So his last race was run in Canada. I didn't know that. Yeah, the Canadian International at Woodbine, yeah. Okay, so I don't want you to roll your eyes but I want to disclose something to you just so you know. I stayed up late last night before this conversation watching a 13-year-old movie. You can find it on plus secretariat have you seen it yeah with john malkovich and yeah. Diane lane and yeah, it was it's, a great it's movie. really great how, how how close to the truth is it in, okay so we're, we're talking about this ronnie turcott this jockey that that uh that that maximized or that brought out the most in secretariat it's a very special relationship between jockey and horse oftentimes as i understand it in horse racing uh, a horse could be ridden by a number of different jockeys over the course of its career but that was not necessarily the case with this horse was it
4: no, Ron Turcott rode him in all of his races except for his first two and his last one. They put an apprentice on him in his first start, and he got into trouble and lost, one of the few times that he lost. And then he got a suspension, Ron did, uh, and couldn't ride him in the Canadian International. Ron Turcott, a Canadian. Yeah, from- New Brunswick. So you didn't write this book I want to be
1: clear uh, about Secretariat. No. There's a whole bunch about Secretariat Yeah, and we're talking about it because coming up this weekend the 50th anniversary of Secretariat's win at the Kentucky Derby. Uh, this year the 50th anniversary of his Triple Crown win at the Preakness and the Belmont as as well but but why write the book about the Turcots? What's so special about this family?
4: Well there was five brothers who became jockeys from a small impoverished town of Drummond, New Brunswick which a population of only 700 and five of them went on to become some of the greatest jockeys in the world especially Ron but it was just a complete accident that it all happened how did it come about well Ron uh, left he was in his lived in a in a lumberjack family and he spent all his time in the forest in the woods chopping down trees but he had enough of that and he went to Toronto to try to get a job and he wound up uh, him and his buddy Reg Pelsey picking worms for and golf courses and cemeteries, getting $3 for a thousand worms. And that wasn't making them rich. And so they were broke and they're ready to go back home. And Ron came down the stairs of the boarding house that he was living in and he watched. And the landlord was watching the Kentucky Derby. And the landlord said, You know, that's what you should be doing. And Ron said, What? He said, Being a jockey. And Ron said, What's a jockey? And the landlord said, The little guys in the white pants. <laughs> yeah. And so they went, Reg and Ronnie went to Woodbine the next day, somehow got jobs, and uh, the rest is, of course, history. In two years, Ron was a leading rider in Canada, and he was a leading rider the following year as well.
1: I'm going to use a word that's unfair, and so I need you to correct me. But he had a bit of a reputation as being a little bit reckless, didn't he? Or unpredictable or, or daring
4: in how he would <laughs> he was daring. Uh, ride these horses? He's very aggressive. He's a very aggressive rider. He's a very strong rider. He had like a 42-inch chest and a 28-inch waist. So he was he was a very strong rider, and and this was uh what what was so masterful about the way that he rode
1: Secretariat? Actually, Johnny, can we? This is where was the big huge win, the thirty length win. That's Belmont, right? Lengths. Johnny, can we load up that video, the other clip? I just I love these old calls. This call from the track. So this is again fifty years old. Here's here's Secretariat winning the Belmont in in absolutely remarkable fashion, a portion of the race.
3: They're on the turn. Its secretariat is blazing along the first three quarters of a mile in 109 and 4 fifths. Secretariat is widening now. He is moving like a tremendous machine. Secretariat by 12. Secretariat by 14 length on the turn. Sam has dropped back. It looks like they'll catch him today as Mike Allen and vice of prince are both coming up to him now. But Secretariat is all alone. He's out there almost a sixteenth of a mile away from the rest of the horses. Secretariat is in a position that is impossible to catch. He's into the stretch. Secretariat leads his field by 18 lengths. And now Price appears to take him second. And Mike ballot is moved down to third. They're in the stretch. Secretariat has opened the 20 20-
1: So the call says twenty five links. I've read that it was almost thirty plus. Thirty one links. Thirty one links. Like, can you put that into perspective? Like size of a football field. So if if that was a hockey score, uh, <laughs> and this is the Belmont Stakes, this is yeah. not a joke. This is not a bunch of horses running for the first time. Is right. is the hockey score like ten to
4: one? Yeah, hundred to one. A hundred yeah. to one. Yeah.
1: So yeah. so what did Ronnie Turcott? Bring out in secretary. What did he just get out of the way? Am I oversimplifying the art of jockeying?
4: No, that's what he said. He said he just, uh, he was a passenger. They strapped him on and uh, he let secretary dictate the way he wanted to run. Like a good jockey can't make a bad horse win, but a bad jockey can make a good horse lose. Yeah. Wow. Uh,
1: so, hey, where do you think, when you look to the Kentucky Derby today, In 2023, it's coming up this weekend. Obviously, there's going to be millions of people watching it from all around the world. With regards to where horse racing is at now, as opposed to where the sport was at when Secretariat was dominant or back in the 1930s when there were other Triple Crown winners. I think there's been about a dozen of them uh, throughout history. Where is horse racing at right now with regards to popularity of, of American sport and sports around the world? And I mean, obviously, this is something you've covered for a long time.
4: Yeah, it depends on where you go. They're still strong, like in New York and in California and Florida, and Toronto is very strong. Uh, it's not the same at all here in Edmonton anymore as the way it used to be. They used to bet a million dollars every Saturday, and that was all live on track handle, no simulcast, no you know, computer betting. It was all live. They'd bet a million dollars every day.
1: Amazing um so this turcott family uh ultimately, I mean, I think if you you know a book like this and there's been high praise, um, including from some very notable sports writers like Roy McGregor, for example, that says no one but Curtis Stock could write this book which is which is pretty high praise, you know it to be true that the average Canadian would not be familiar with the Turcott family legacy, no. This is yeah. these we, we don't look at them and talk about them like the Sutter brothers out of Viking Alberta right. as an example right
4: yeah I know it's a largely unknown part of Canadian history you know like I mean these these five brothers going on to great things and it's a story of triumph and tragedy too because bad things happen to all of them yeah including Ronnie turcott yeah paralyzed uh, from the ways down in the spill in New York in
1: 1978 yeah was that something I mean I you know I guess you think of like the the riskiest oh, yeah. jobs
4: in sport,
1: it's one the riskiest of sports to play. I can't being a jockey. Yeah, I think it has to be right
4: up there. Huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. With a jockey, it's never a question of if they're going to get hurt. It's how often they're going to get hurt and how badly. Huh? Because they they go through a lot, and you know, like the Derby's going to have twenty horses in it, so a lot of things can happen.
1: It was kind of fascinating, wasn't it? With and and again, I know I sound like someone that's just like fascinated. I have like this like childlike wonderment with it. And again, I'm like twelve hours off watching the movie. So I, <laughs> thanks for not rolling your eyes on that. Your book's amazing, but the field at the Belmont Stakes there, where, 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 where Secretary runs away with it and wins by more than you know thirty one lengths. Uh, only five horses running in the entire race. Yeah, that's because a lot of owners are actually keeping their horses out. Because it was perceived to be
4: kind of like the Alberta election, a two-horse race? Yeah, it was a one-horse race, and they all knew it. So they weren't going to beat Secretariat, so there was only five in that race, yeah. That's very unusual, isn't very it? Very unusual, yeah.
1: Yeah, why? They just don't want their horses to lose? They don't want to risk yeah. the
4: injury? Yeah, they knew they couldn't beat them, and uh, it was actually surprising that there was five that uh, showed up. But they do pay five money places, so... Wow. Uh, Real Talkers will want to know, including probably the, the
1: technical producer of this show, if, if you have a call for who's going to win the Derby this year.
4: Uh, <laughs> Angel of Empire is my long shot to win the... Angel of Empire? Yeah, Forte will be the favorite. He's a remarkable horse, but uh, Angel of Empire is my long shot. Um, he won the Arkansas Derby very impressively.
1: Secretariat was sired by, was it bold, Man of War? or Bold Ruler. Bold Ruler. Uh, did Secretariat... Sire, I'm going into the weeds with you on this one. Any, Not any
4: Triple Crown winners, but no. were,
1: were there any sort of notable offspring that, that, that lived close
4: to realizing the legacy of no. Secretariat? No, not really. He he was a really good broodmare, Sire. In, in other words, like mares that he foaled produced a lot of champions. As a stud himself, he didn't produce that many winners. He produced huh. a lot, but uh, not as what people were expecting. It's kind of like how Wayne Gretzky's
1: boys didn't play in the show.
4: Yeah, I guess so, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, Curtis, congratulations on the book, man. Uh, the Turcots, the remarkable story of a horse racing dynasty. People can find it anywhere they get good books and they can follow you on Twitter at Curtis J. Stock obviously you do a lot of golf writing as well and uh, you got a radio show, a golf radio show with my pal Murray McCord on the weekends too, TSN 1260. People can check it out.
4: Yeah, Sunday mornings, 830. All right, buddy,
1: you and me, let's get on the golf let's course this it. year. Yeah, I look forward to it. it. Yeah, hey, congratulations on the new book and thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you very much for having me. You got it. That's Curtis Stock, the new book, The Turcots, the remarkable story of a horse racing dynasty. How cool was it for you going through that that archive footage yesterday and watching those horse yeah. races? And,
0: and like I said, watching the video, of the, and I think somebody commented that like if you just hear 30 lengths or 31 lengths like like in your head you can't picture it but when you see how far you like that doesn't happen anymore no that is just incredible that's yeah i
1: mean they're saying like like curtis says like he's a football field away from the rest of the field i mean just unbelievable stuff yeah 80s fanify says without that footage it would be hard to actually believe that finish Uh, And Lauren Lauren says, can you imagine Jack Michaels, the voice of the Oilers, calling that race? (laughs) Down the stretch. Down the stretch. This is why you love horse racing. All right. That interview is presented by our friends at Complete Care Restoration. They're the ones that built this studio that we're working out of every single day. And uh, Johnny and I watched them work. Like we were in here watching them work because we needed to make sure that everything was unfolding as we needed it to. And, and that also gave us a front row seat to see how they operate and how they hold themselves accountable. When it comes to fire damage, flood damage, mold or asbestos removal, oftentimes you're talking about your most important space, your biggest investment, your home maybe it's your business, if something goes sideways, if you find yourself in an unenviable position, don't mess around with who's going to do the restoration. Give Complete Care a call today at 780-454-0776. They come with our passionate and unreserved endorsement. That's Complete Care Restoration. At Local Environmental Services, they want you to know if you're a business owner or a decision maker in Edmonton an area, Whitecourt, an area, Regina an area. It's time to check out localenvironmental.ca. Why? Well, number one, it's a family-owned business. A real human's gonna answer the phone when you call. Number two, they understand the value of keeping it local. That means that their commitment to local communities where they live and work is unparalleled let alone when you're dealing with the big multinational competitors. My heart is warmed every time I'm driving through back alleys or behind big establishments, and I see those telltale green bins with the Local Environmental logo. Join that team, of course, that's paying less and getting better service by visiting localenvironmental.ca. Don't forget Trash Talk coming up on Friday. We've got some real bangers, Johnny. Emails to talk at (laughs) RyanJesperson.com. That's presented by Local Environmental Services. At Apex Automation, they're putting out a call to not just Canada's most experienced and best uh, automated uh, professionals and, of course, engineers, but those that are just graduating, the bright, young, talented engineers of today and tomorrow that are looking for work apex automation is hiring and right now they'd love to talk to you if you're interested in engineering fabrication automation or industry 4.0 take a step in the right direction for your career today by visiting apexautomation.ca We're really excited to be partnering with and supporting Northwest Fest. This is Canada's longest-running independent documentary festival. The International Documentary Festival at Northwest Fest is pairing up with and partnering with the Rainbow Visions Film Festival. As a matter of fact, they're screening back-to-back. So Northwest Fest kicks off on May 4th. That's right. That's this week. Uh, It's the one you're not going to want to miss. Tomorrow, the big launch, and it runs all the way through to the 14th. 10 days with more than 20 feature films, all of them screening at the historic Metro Cinema. You can check out the full lineup, individual tickets for all films available at NorthwestFest.com including only in theaters. Yeah, it's being described as one of the best movies of the year, a beautiful love letter to independent movie theaters, and the fight for the legendary theater in L.A., a chain trying to stay alive, especially after the pandemic. That's only in theaters. Just one of the feature films you're going to want to check out at Northwest Fest. Get your tickets today at northwestfest.ca. I've heard that only in theaters. Film is supposed to be amazing. Uh, you you wonder if people I heard are... it's only in theaters. Way to go, way to go John! <laughs> Very well played. <laughs> There is something about being in a movie theater. Yeah. And I know that everybody these days is getting the projection, uh, you know, the the monitors, they're, they're in their home, they can they can We've blow. We've in here. I know we do. Are <laughs> we part of the problem? They can blow
0: up. Why do you have to sewer us Well, like I'm that? just saying.
1: No, God. but it's true, right? Yeah. My next door neighbor has a home theater that is like the envy of the block because mm-hmm. the screen can be like a hundred and some inches and it's and- 4K and amazing and everybody's got their leather couches at home and they've got the beautiful popcorn that they can make themselves and going to theaters costs a little bit more money. Than it used to but when you actually Go to a theater yeah you realize And remember the magic of the experience Yeah
0: a lot of those movies come right Out on on different uh, Streaming platforms too so it's like you Can and I think since the pandemic Some people have some anxiety you Know I, I know my wife's one of them we're like Big crowds now since the pandemic she's Like I'm not used to this you know kind of thing But there is nothing better that Experience going in smelling the Butter and the popcorn and paying for your combo and walking in like it isn't expensive. I know it's, it's a lot more expensive than back in the day, but it's worth the experience and you sit in there and, and, and everyone's kind of chatting before and, and it's a, it's a, it's a great experience unless someone's chatting behind you during the movie and then it's not so great.
1: Yeah, I had to well, well and this was a learning experience for me. I took our little guy Wyatt and and his buddy, both of them 7 years old, his buddy Nixon, and and we went and checked out the uh the new Super Mario Brothers movie, mm-hmm. on, actually on opening day. So what do yeah, you think? That movie's at over a billion dollars now. It's
0: crazy.
1: Like it's shattering. Yeah. It's it's like the secretary out of No, I shouldn't <laughs> I shouldn't say that by the way. That's uh, but a lot of people... totally inappropriate. But and I was teaching them about the, 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 uh, the movie theater etiquette because oh. they were having a good laugh together and having, having a lot of fun. A couple of seven-year-olds with their own popcorns and their own treats and everything, mm-hmm. you know, having a good time. But I was like, fellas, you know, I, said, you know, I said to Wyatt, you want you mm-hmm. to know how serious this is? I said, did you notice that I haven't been on my phone once in like two hours? It's and weird goes, that you bring oh, yeah, that up. That is very weird.
0: Because I, last movie I went to, The Batman. The new one uh, with What's-His-Head from uh, from the Twilight series. Robert Pattinson. Yes. Yeah. So loved the movie. Didn't know it was going to be two and a half hours. So about two hours in, I just looked at my phone just just to check the time. Because I'm like, this this is running really long, is it not? You never know if you got an email or an emergency. So sure, just turned on my phone for two seconds. But the light from it. Oh, yeah the guy behind me kicked my chair. Really? <laughs> yeah, it just gave me one swift kick and I didn't even say anything. I knew exactly what he was talking about. I just grabbed my phone and put it down. But like people, when they go and pay that kind of money- they want to have the whole experience. They want no distractions and you're right, there is an etiquette to it.
1: Yeah. Uh, I love this comment from Scarchus Guitars in our live chat and and this this is like it's it's kind of in a way like an underhanded compliment except for I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you're saying. They say that that interview with Curtis Stock was way more interesting than I expected. Uh, like I'm not much into horse racing but that was very engaging. Neither am I, yeah. You saw me yesterday. Like I'm watching this I watched that Kentucky I watched Secretariat run the Kentucky Derby 3 times in a row. Watched the Preakness, the Belmont and it's just like it, it's like mm-hmm. you don't have to be super into a sport to recognize greatness mm-hmm. or dominance. And also for me just as a as a kid that wanted to be a broadcaster ever since I was, you know, 10 years old. Mm-hmm. To hear somebody call that and in the moment, like you have to recognize what was the one call? I love what the guy said. He says he's he's when he was running the Belmont, he says he is moving like a <laughs> tremendous machine. I just thought that's such an amazing Incredible. thing to say about an animal.
0: And cutting those clips, like you sent me, I think yesterday, you did it ahead of time. You're like, there's gonna be a lot of clips, and you sent me them all. I'm like, oh. we wanted lots
1: and of video I, highlights.
0: And you know me, I'm the animal rights guy, so I'm like, oh, horse racing. And then as I'm cutting them and watching them, I'm like, wow, this really really just like the movies really was an experience back in the day and yeah. now as he's talking about it not as popular now but people made an experience they went out there they they gambled a lot of money but just seeing the the last clip we saw of the 30, 31 lengths ahead, I was like, wow, this was an incredible animal. Heart two size, two sizes, like that's, that's right amazing. out of a fairy tale. Two sizes, the size of a normal horse. That's incredible.
1: Can we, can we, you want to talk about the animal racing for a sec? It's real talk. I'm not, I don't know that.
0: It's just the thing I would, ne- I would never go and support the horse races, but I, even I was kind of enamored. I was. I was drawn in Watching these clips so.
1: Now someone will say And and like just just Let's be honest So some people Advocates for the sport Would say These horses Are, are, are better born than, well, yeah. well for sure But like they're born And bred to run They want to run mm-hmm. They're kicking the stalls They're competitive This is what they're born to do They want to do it mm-hmm. um, and, and then detractors or, or you know critics of the sport would say obviously w- w- what do they want to do they want to run and snap their leg and get you know shot behind a tarp I don't think so yeah. right and and obviously I think it's it's more controversial I think it's safe to say yeah uh, sports like chuck wagon racing yeah. where accidents are more frequent and it does happen I personally love chuck wagon racing I love it I also know that some people hate it and would do whatever they could to shut it down. And there are other rodeo sports as well, more controversial, probably like calf roping and steer wrestling and -hmm. and all the things that, that, you know, have become more controversial over the years. Horse racing. I I don't know, for some reason, maybe I just have this like cognitive dissonance. Maybe I'm just (laughs) trying to convince myself of something, but I guess I, I guess I kind of don't see it in the same yeah. territory.
0: And I, you know, I'm a realist. Anyone who watches this show knows that I'm not some guy out there protesting or, or throwing, you know, blood on people's fur coats. But for me, like I always think, and I know this is like, again, fairy tale thing that, like you were saying, I think all horses, all animals in general, the main thing they want to do is roam free. But I'm also a realist, and I know that, that that's not how it is anymore. They're, they're trying to live a life with humans on the earth. Um, but again... I, I'll stay away from that cuz I don't want to get into that. Just watching those clips, even I was like I was amazed. Yeah. At like you said, this horse that was born to run and did it better than anyone else. Like those records are never going to be broken, Ryan.
1: No. I mean, he holds the track record at, mm-hmm. in all three of the Triple Crown races, the Belmont, the Preakness, and the Kentucky Derby, and yeah. those records have stood for 50 years, and people aren't even close. And this people, was back in the people, day. People, horses, think horses of the are way, not even, people are definitely not close. Think
0: of the way they train horses, take care of them, even the food, the sup, whatever they give them nowadays has to be, you know, a hundred times better than back then, and that horse was still top. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah, re- really, really uh, incredible legacy. But listen, and, and and you know what? I appreciate one of the things I really appreciate you, Johnny, is like you go well. I'm, I don't know. I'm not going to get into that, or I'm not going to go there. I think it's okay to do that, and this show encourages that, right? Like yesterday, um, you know, I talked to Erica Barutis after our uh, our, our episode, and uh, her. What do I call it? Like, well, it wasn't a dust up. I mean, it was. What was it? How was would you? A, just, it was a debate. It
0: was a great debate,
1: and we didn't. It was great. Um, we didn't necessarily set it up that Cheryl Oates, uh, you know, formerly Rachel Notley, Premier Rachel Notley's director of communications, and she's now a senior uh, strategist and an advisor on that NDP campaign. She's out of Calgary, and then Erica Brudis. If you missed it yesterday, you have to watch it. Uh, Erica was Premier Daniel Smith's principal secretary for a time, and now she's down in Calgary helping quarterback uh, their Calgary efforts than the United Conservatives, and we we set it up as though like. We're going to go back and forth. We're going to talk about the issues. And then it just sort of like right out (laughs) of the gates. Just it's like somebody, you know, like the guy that doesn't go camping that often. And then he starts the fire with gasoline.
0: They understood the assignment. Like you (laughs) didn't get a word in edgewise, but it was great because it was back and forth and they let each other speak. And, and they counterpointed and it was probably one of the best debates we've had in a long time. I agree. Show.
1: And so Erica was laughing after the show. I mean, she's, she's used to taking fire and she's no stranger to it and she was perfectly fine with it. I saw that somebody, uh, she brought it to my attention, somebody had described her as a pebble in their shoe uh, and she thought she got a real kick out of that. But I said to Erica, one of the beautiful things about this audience is that you're going to have people that are full-blown left-wingers. You're going to have people that are absolutely unapologetic right-wingers. You're going to have a whole bunch of people uh, whom I firmly believe Represent about 85% of our population who are other, who are in the middle, uh, who are whom Dr. Jared Wesley described on this show on Monday as the moderates, right? More than 50% of Albertans polled when asked to describe themselves as a moderate, a progressive a conservative or otherwise more than 50% describe themselves as moderates, which means that you live in those gray areas. I mean, this show, we poured our foundation in the gray areas. And that means if you have a different take on coal exploration on the eastern slopes of the Rockies, if you have a different take on rodeo, if you have a different take on carbon pricing or hell, which movie is the Secretariat of Movies, we want to hear from you to talk at RyanJesperson.com. Did you see these election flyers out of Calgary that are making news? I wanted to talk about this and put this in front of the audience today. Did you see this story? Mm-hmm. This is absolutely hilarious. Uh, and I don't know that everybody will find this funny. Uh, I'll describe this for people listening on the podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube, thanks everybody that subscribes to our YouTube channel, by the way. Uh, you can see it for yourself. These are orange-colored, NDP-colored flyers uh, that are going around out in mailboxes in Calgary curry uh, this is from the Twitter account Viper two uh, six who has shown this uh this uh election uh, material this this promotional material for the United Conservatives that wound up in their mailbox they say they're having people distribute flyers in NDP colors uh, asserts this person They know that if people realized this was a United Conservative flyer right away, it would go straight into the recycling bin. But this is amazing, John. They actually use NDP branding. Look at this. A photo of Rachel Notley, not Danielle Smith. Uh, They say, describe her as Rachel Notley, a member of Jagmeet Singh's Alberta NDP. They use the, the letters Alberta NDP. They describe it as a mortgaged future and ask, can you afford Rachel Notley? Now, some people are saying that this could actually violate uh, some of the rules. Now, I don't know if that's valid or not. I'm sure that there will be some sort of complaint lodged with the election commissioner. Uh, But this just goes to show. um, And I actually think it's kind of a cheeky tactic. Like part of this makes me. Snicker. Well, they're Part going this, right towards NDP supporters they're getting to read creative. it. Right? Yeah. They're getting creative and they're, they're trying to reiterate that messaging, that messaging that is Alberta's NDP is the federal NDP. All mm-hmm. right. Because if you have a membership in one, you have a membership in both. So they want to say, hey, listen, if, if, if you support Rachel Notley, you support Jagmeet Singh. And Rachel Notley can't exactly come out and say that's not true. Mm-hmm. Right. She can't take big swipes at the federal party but anybody with common sense any audience member to this show knows that there's quite a different approach to a lot of policy from Alberta's NDP than the federal party
0: it's a good sell to put like Ottawa and Rachel in the same idea right and we'll then look
1: at this picture of her <laughs> and the prime minister Justin Trudeau there it is again on that election marketing material from the United Conservatives you could let us know what you think about this this one landed up in a mailbox in Calgary curry what about in your neck of the woods we would love to see how things are playing out. We'd love to see how local campaigns are getting their message across. And of course, we'd love your insights. We're going to bring you Alberta's most real election coverage. We're going to have the conversations that real people have. We're going to be sharing perspectives that real people have. And of course, that relies on you getting in touch with us. You know our hashtag RealTalkRJ as well as where you can hit us up on Instagram, on Twitter, and on TikTok, where John's been killing it with our daily highlight videos. you are having a lot of fun with that.
0: Get a taste of the debate yesterday. Our TikTok video up there. People just the comments going crazy. I don't know
1: how you narrowed it down because it was like 59 Seconds. It's got to yeah. be less than a minute, well, but they you- went for 40 straight minutes just back and forth. Mm-hmm. I, people don't know that I actually went and got a BLT halfway through the end. <laughs> went and helped myself, went for a walk on the street, grabbed a latte, brought you a caramel macchiato, and then came back and got on with the rest of our show. These conversations happen because of amazing sponsors that we would love for you to support. And that includes the team that we're working with literally right now on our own outdoor space, Eden Landscaping. We're trusting them with our budget. We're trusting them with our dollars and, of course, our biggest investment. That's our home. Our backyard's just not delivering in the way we need it to. Quite frankly, it looks terrible because the dogs that we love... Well, they've taken their toll, and uh, live grass, John, is no longer feasible. Plus, we've got kids that are growing up and need a more uh, appropriate play area. These are the priorities that we've told Eden Landscaping about, and of course, we gave them our budget. We put that number down on a piece of paper, and watching them work around our needs, our dreams, and our budget has been a real treat. They can do the exact same thing for you in your biggest investment, your most important space, bringing it to life like they've been doing for more than 20 years. It's Eden Landscaping, and you can find them online today. It's Mike and his team, Andrea, and the rest of the talented folks there at Eden Landscaping. It's landscapeedmonton.ca. I think that you and I can let real talkers know that at some point this month we're going to be taking the show on the road. And uh, there there are still some details to be determined, Mm -hmm. but we're looking forward to on a future Wednesday, not too far from now, bringing you coverage live from jasper national
0: park it's going to be incredible possibly a full week in the meantime
1: we're going to go out to jasper national park in a bit of a different way it's part of our tradition every wednesday if you know on this show we call it my jasper memories and there's a really really neat i mean sometimes we talk to you about the history of the region sometimes we talk to you about some of the you know, natural wonder that lies in wait, whether it's our favorite fishing spots or our favorite hiking trails or maybe some of the historical interpretive opportunities. But this week, we want to talk to you about a a new festival that's coming up. It's the Uplift Mural Festival in Jasper. And this is a totally different and very cool way to experience art in Jasper National Park. This is just year two of this mural festival. It runs from May 1st, so it's just kicked off through till May 20th. Three renowned muralists will be creating pieces of art on the walls of Jasper. Now, I want to direct you to the Uplift Festival Instagram account. If you're watching or listening to the show, you'll find it in the show notes uh, on podcast or on YouTube. These three artists that are going to be taking the application of their talent to an entirely new level. And this is an opportunity for you to visit jasper through the month to see the progress as these walls transform so they've just started a couple of days ago and they're going to be going on for the next few weeks these mural artists ola volo alex Kwong, and bb isku are going to be putting their unique talents on display of course in a permanent reminder of how art can coexist with natural beauty in a place as magical as Jasper National Park. Now, you're encouraged to visit Jasper not once, maybe twice, or even three times to see how this all plays out. And, of course, we want to make sure that you have all the information that you need to make that visit memorable. So the number one thing you can do is go check out jasper.travel. But, again, at the uplift.fest.jasper account on Instagram, that's Uplift dot fest dot jasper on instagram you can get the latest updates you can learn more about these three artists their personal stories the motivation behind how they apply their talent to what they do and of course some of the meaning some of it they'll want us to interpret for ourselves but some of the meaning behind the masterpieces that they will create for future forever in Jasper National Park. My Jasper Memories is presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. If you're going to be out there in the month of May, we'd love for you to put it on our radar on Instagram, on Twitter, your photos and videos, hashtag MyJasper and Real Talk RJ and you could see your Jasper Memories featured right here on the show. Coming up on tomorrow's Real Talk, it's Mental Health Week. You know, we talked last week about anxiety and the mental health implications of climate change on teens we're going to talk to an alberta educator who has made this his calling helping young people navigate the complexities of the reality of environmental change plus a you an athabasca you podcaster we're going to be talking about history present and future of storytelling
0: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, executive producer, Josh Dunford, technical producer, John Hicks, general manager, Katie Cook-Chivers, account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego, human resources, Lena Shepherd, website design, Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson.